0: The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Naibo. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Terrifying Lies Podcast, where dead just doesn't stay dead. I'm your host, Craig Naibo. I'm happy you've come to this room where we gather every first and third Friday to delve into the shadows that haunt... Our imaginations Here, we peel back the layers from stories that send a cold slither down the spine and keep us breathing in the shallows. Let's confront our fears together today, shall we? Just a warning: Today's episode is part three of a three-part series. If you haven't heard parts one and two, I encourage you to go back and tune in. Otherwise, you might find yourself a bit discombobulated. Let's dive in today's story. The Conclusion of Evil Exhumed Again you will find that this story is written in first person that's because it's part of a set of stories that I wrote a while ago that I call Hypno Nightmares For you to listen to the entire nightmare you would listen to an induction to bring you into a trance like state then a suggestion or a story written in first person to put you right in the middle of the action and then finally an awakening to bring you back out of your trance and into regular life. With no more delay, I give you Evil Exhumed, part three of three, written and performed by me, Craig Naibo. The other inmates advance all at once as if they're moving in formation. The crimson glow coming from the burning penitentiary casts an eerie yellow backglow glow on the men, highlighting their shapes like flickering brimstone. "'Hey, Mitchell!' Lyle Langevin shouts from in front of the bar. He hands his baseball bat over to Joel Starkey and raises his 38. "'Stay back!' you warn Lyle, but he isn't listening. "'You kill any little girls lately?' Lyle says. "'You know I've been practicing down at the range.'" I don't know why, I suppose a man just has to be ready to defend his and his own. Lower the weapon, you shout. Several of the cops behind you cock their guns. A symphony of metallic clicks. This is for all those poor kids you killed, Lyle fires. The snub-nosed revolver proclaims its sharp report, filling the night with its percussive exclamation. Before Lyle can touch off another round, and before you can even register what's happening... Leon Mitchell stands next to the shooter. Lyle, still aiming at the place where Mitchell stood only a second before, doesn't realize that his target has moved with superhuman speed and is standing right at his ear. Leon Mitchell issues a series of guttural <laughs> chuckles, come from somewhere just north of hell. Lyle whips around and tries to fix his aim, but he's too late. Mitchell grabs Lyle's arm with both of his bony hands and cranks it downward. You hear a dry crack as Lyle's arm bends the wrong way. He lets out a cry of pain, not noticing that his hand is still on the grip of the thirty-eight. and Mitchell has the barrel of the gun up against his belly. The rest of the barflies backpedal in a Keystone cop-style dance that under other circumstances would be funny. Nobody's laughing. I got a question for you, Leon Mitchell says, holding the gun against Lyle's stomach. Have you ever tasted a sweet young lady? Not knowing what else to do, Lyle shakes his head, keeping his teared-up eyes on those of the orange-clad convict. I didn't think so, Mitchell says. He turns to the rest of the barflies and bares his teeth in a grin that can only be described as good natured Hey, don't knock it if you haven't tried it. She kind of tastes like fine spring chicken. BLAM! BLAM! Lyle's revolver reports twice. Lyle's eyes spring wide open, as if he's fallen victim to the world's biggest jump scare. He slumps. But before Lyle can fold over to the pavement, Mitchell grips him by the shoulder of his jacket and hoists him up. Lyle's weight no more than that of an oversized rag doll to Mitchell. Lyle moans as his life force begins to fade away. Well, it ain't the sweet taste of spring chicken, Mitchell says hoisting Lyle up off the pavement, holding the man out in front, Lyle's feet in the act of a stupid dance, reaching for the security of the sidewalk. But hey, beggars can't be choosers. Leon Mitchell hugs Lyle in close and buries his teeth into the man's throat. A wash of new blood floods out of a fresh wound, dampening Mitchell's chin with a slather of crimson gore. Mitchell cups off the flow with his lips and drinks taking the warm liquid directly from Lyle into him. The slathering sound of Mitchell's mill causes your stomach to curl in on itself. Somehow, you manage to hold down the piece of pie and coffee you ate at the diner earlier that night. Does any of you have a clear shot? You shout back at the other officers. They mumble out something in the way of denial. Nobody fires. You want to take Mitchell down, but the risk of hitting Lyle is too high, even though you know he's a goner. After finishing his feast, Leon Mitchell lets Lyle go. The former bouncer for Bixby's Tavern collapses in a pile to the sidewalk. Mitchell aims the revolver at Lyle's head. If you ask me, he tastes kinda like stuck country hog. He fires two rounds, dry pops the empty gun twice. Lyle's head explodes like a honeydew melon. Mitchell chuckles to himself and drops the gun. Abel Shaw, looking more sober by the second, and the two women, Rhonda Simmons and Sharon Horn, break for it, running straight up the sidewalk, away from Leon Mitchell. At the same time, you hear Joel Starkey say the last sentence of his life. Let's get him, he says to his brother. He winds up with his baseball bat, steps into it, and brings it around, Hank Aaron style. Only Leon Mitchell is too fast and too powerful for the would-be pinch hitter. Mitchell snatches the bat by the shaft with one of his bony hands and yanks it free, causing Joel to stagger into the man he was just trying to smack down. Mitchell drives his off hand into Joel's stomach, sharp finger bones first. Joel doubles over and issues a pain to yelp. Joel's brother, Josh, backs away, a sudden case of hysteria overtaking him. Josh waves his hands in front of his face. No, 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 he says. Mitchell explores inside Joel's rib cage, churning up the guts he finds there with his sharp fingers. Joel's intestines unravel onto the pavement, slopping down like a chain of smoked sausages. The Terrifying Lies podcast will return after this short commercial break. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies podcast. Mitchell lifts Joel, still writhing, above his head. A wash of blood drips down from above. He turns his face upward to his new snack and drinks the icor as it spills out, taking occasional licks and snaps at Joel's dangling intestines. He lays off his feeding and smiles at you, his face awash and crimson wet. What do you say, boys? You want a taste? Shiloh Greaves and the other inmate grin. Mitchell hurls Joel's body at his two accomplices. Before the dead weight hits the sidewalk, the two inmates snatch him out of the air. They become ravenous beasts as they eat, tearing enormous sloppy flesh from Joel's body with their teeth. Stop where you are, Mitchell shouts, pointing at Abel Shaw and the two women. The three fleeing barflies halt. Run for it, you shout in your mind. Get out while you can, but the three runners, stunned by a hypnotic force that you don't understand, just stand there, defeated, shoulders slumped, facing away from the Predator, who seems to exude some kind of psychological control over them. Nobody gets out unless I say they get out, Mitchell says. The other inmates act in symphony shooting over the black top and taking down the routing barflies with the speed of lightning. Fire, you order. Until that moment, you are concerned about collateral damage, but there's no longer any risk of harming innocent bystanders. They're all dead, except for Josh Starkey, who continues his pleading backstep, hands in front of his face. No, 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 no. You put two rounds into Leon Mitchell, a pair of backward jerking steps and a new Jackson Pollock painting of blood on the wall behind him indicate that you're making headway. From the corner of your eye, you see that the other officers have picked their targets. Other members of Mitchell's party dance under the hail of incoming bullets. You unload the magazine of your first shotgun and dry your service pistol. You aim and fire. Leon Mitchell dances in the lead rain. A couple of rounds fly wide and whine away, ricocheting off the front of Bixby's tavern. You hear Josh Starkey shriek, hit by a ricocheting piece of lead. He stops cold and puts a hand on his side where the bullet enters in. You pick up the other shotgun from the driver's seat of your cruiser and move out of cover. You walk across the road toward Leon Mitchell. Something tells you that if you can take him down, the other members of his posse will fall. You lay on the pressure with a fresh volley of shots, this time firing until your weapon dry clicks. You holster your service pistol and raise the shotgun. As you switch weapons, you hear a bedlam of shots, screams, and moans behind you. You don't know who's on top of this firefight. If you were a gambler, you regret to say that you probably would put your stake on Leon Mitchell and his posse. Knowing you have to keep your head, you continue your advance across the street, shotgun raised. You want to get within the most lethal range of your weapon. You want to be close enough that you can't miss, even if you try. Leon Mitchell, riddled with bullet holes, leans against the wall of Bixby's, putting one of his hands up to support him. He struggles to snatch full swallows of air. You've hurt him. At least there's that. If you can hurt him, you reason that you can kill him. You close in, realizing that nobody behind you is firing. Either the other officers have run out of ammunition, or... Leon's cronies have ended it for your backup. You raise your shotgun, now so close that you can make out the wrinkles in Leon Mitchell's leathery face. I had a friend who worked up a sandalwood, you say, sighting down your weapon. You know what he told me? What's that? Leon Mitchell says, and then spits out a ball of gore onto the sidewalk. He said that he would have thrown that switch himself. Ten times over if he had the chance. Now it looks like I get to throw the switch. Leon Mitchell has just enough time to chuckle before you start touching off the six rounds in your shotgun. Every shot would have been lethal under normal circumstances. But this time, you're up against what seems to be a force of nature. A force that has come up from the intestines of hell for blood and revenge. Leon Mitchell goes down in the maelstrom of buckshot falling hard on the pavement and spread eagle on his back. With six new wounds bleeding from six critical points on his body, Leon Mitchell continues to breathe. His mouth curls into a new smile and he slants his eyes in your direction. You drop your shotgun and trade it for your service pistol. You eject the empty magazine and slam a fresh load from your belt home. Before you can raise your weapon, something grabs you from behind and rests the pistol from your hand. You look around to see two of Leon Mitchell's orange jumpsuit-clad posse holding you fast. You try to struggle, but their strength outbalances yours by inhuman measures, even under the influence of the adrenaline that flows through your veins. Leon Mitchell works his way to his haunches, issuing a slight moan as he repositions his body. He crouches there for a moment, staring at the ground, trying the will to push up to his feet. All at once, he rises blood caked over his entire prison uniform he staggers over to you keeping a smear of a smile fixed on his lips now eye to eye he puts one of his bony hands on your cheek much of his face has been blown away by buckshot but even as he stands there right in front of you you can see his flesh knitting you know that you haven't done any real damage in a matter of hours or days leon mitchell will be as good as new I have a policy, Leon says. His breath smells of halitosis and rotting meat. I always leave one little piggy behind to squeal. You blink. Is he actually going to let you go? I want you to get into your little cherry bomb over there. Mitchell flicks his eyes toward your police cruiser, still running, its top light still rotating on the roof. And I want you to drive out of here. I have a message. I want you to tell everyone out there that Leon Mitchell has returned and that Brightland is mine. Should anybody venture within the border of this little town, I'll cut him down. Am I understood? You nod, unable to fathom why the escaped convict would let you go. Just like that, he releases you. You back away from him, unable to keep your hands from shaking. Mitchell looks around at his posse, many of them featuring the same type of bullet holes that adorn Mitchell's prison oranges. Come on, boys. We got work to do. Mitchell's cronies nod in wordless unison. The whole gang of fugitives vanishes in a series of orange streaks, amping up to the superhuman speed you witnessed earlier. You check your surroundings. You alone stand, the sole survivor of the whole affair. You decide to heed Leon Mitchell's words. You know that you've been sworn to protect and serve the good people of Brightland, but you also know that you can't do it alone. You get into your cruiser, shift into gear, and make a U-turn. With the population of your small community nested in their beds, you drive out of town. You aren't sure who to call first, the FBI, the National Guard, the Army. You decide to start with Margot Kleiner at dispatch. You raise your radio handset to your lips. Dispatch. We have a 4532, which has escalated into a 1071. Request backup. I repeat, request immediate backup. For today's song, I offer another brand new original. Since this story is all about Leon Mitchell and his undead rampage across your small community, I thought I'd write a conclusionary song about Leon himself. This one is called Mesmeric Sparks. They put the spark in his hand. Here we are at the end of another journey into the depths of the unknown. I extend my sincere thanks to you for joining me on the Terrifying Lies podcast. It's your curiosity, your thirst for the mysterious and your shared love for the enigmatic that make this community of Disciples of the Dark so special. Remember, you now belong to a congregation of those unafraid to explore the macabre We're bound by our shared fascination with the chilling and the arcane, and it is my absolute pleasure to be your guide through each departure. Until next time, I bid you sweet dreams, or should I say, sweet nightmares. This has been the Terrifying Lies podcast. Please, come again. You're welcome here.